Chapter Six, Part One of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter Six, Part One, The Anonymous Letter. Towards ten o'clock in the evening of the same day, in which Fleur de Marie was carried off by the Chouette and schoolmaster, a man on horseback arrived at the Bouqueval farm representing himself as coming from m rodolphe to tranquillize madame georges as to the safety of her young friend and to assure her of her safe return ere long the man further stated that m rodolphe having very important reasons for making the request particularly desired no letters might be addressed to him at paris for the present but that in the event of madame georges having anything particular to communicate the messenger now sent would take charge of it and deliver it punctually this pretended envoy on the part of rodolph was in fact an emissary sent by sarah who by this stratagem effected the twofold purpose of quieting the apprehensions of madame georges and also obtaining a delay of several days ere rodolph learned that the goualeuse had been carried off during which interval sarah hoped to have induced the notary jacques ferrand to promote her unworthy attempt to impose a supposititious child on rodolph after the manner which has already been related nor was this all the evil planned by the countess she ardently desired to get rid of madame d'harville on whose account she entertained very serious misgivings and whose destruction she had so nearly compassed but for the timely interposition of rodolph on the day following that in which the marquis followed his wife into the house in the rue du temple tom repaired thither and by skilfully drawing madame pupin into conversation contrived to learn from her how a young and elegantly dressed lady upon the point of being surprised by her husband had been preserved through the presence of mind and cleverness of a lodger in the house named m rodolph once informed of this circumstance and possessing no positive proof of the assignation made by clemence with m charles robert sarah conceived a plan evidently more hateful than the former she resolved to dispatch a second anonymous letter to m d'harville calculated to bring about a complete rupture between himself and rodolph or failing that to infuse into the mind of the marquis suspicions so unworthy of his wife and friend as should induce him to forbid madame d'harville ever admitting the prince into her society this black and malignant epistle was couched in the following terms you have been grossly deceived the other day your wife being apprised of your following her invented a tale of imaginary beneficence the real purpose of her visit to the rue du temple was to fulfil an assignation with an august personage who has hired a room on the fourth floor in the house situated rue du temple this illustrious individual being known only at his lodging under the simple name of rodolph should you doubt these facts which may probably appear to you too improbable to deserve credit go to number seventeen rue du temple and make due inquiries obtain a description of the face and figure of the august personage alluded to and you will be compelled to own yourself the most credulous and easily duped husband that was ever so royally supplanted in the affections of his wife despise not this advice if you would not have the world believe you carry your devotion to your prince rather too far this infamous concoction was put into the post by sarah herself about five o'clock in the afternoon of the day which had witnessed her interview with the notary on this same day after having given renewed directions to m de graun to expedite the arrival of cecily in paris by every means in his power rodolph prepared to pass the evening with the ambassadress of and on his return to call on madame d'harville for the purpose of informing her he had found a charitable intrigue worthy even of her cooperation. 
we shall now conduct our readers to the hotel of madame d'harville the following dialogue will abundantly prove that in adopting a tone of kind and gentle conciliation towards a husband she had hitherto treated with such invariable coldness and reserve the heart of madame d'harville had already determined to practise the sound and virtuous sentiments dictated by rodolph the marquis and his lady had just quitted the dinner-table and the scene we are about to describe took place in the elegant little salon we have already spoken of the features of clemence wore an expression of kindness almost amounting to tenderness and even m d'harville appeared less sad and dejected than usual it only remains to premise that the marquis had not as yet received the last infamous production of the pen of sarah macgregor what are your arrangements for this evening inquired m d'harville almost mechanically of his wife i have no intention of going out and what are your own plans i hardly know answered he with a sigh i feel more than ordinarily averse to gaiety and i shall pass my evening as i have passed many others alone nay but why alone since i am not going out m d'harville gazed at his wife as though unable to comprehend her i am aware said he that you mentioned your intention to pass this evening at home still i pray go on my lord i did not imagine you would choose to have your solitude broken in upon i believe you have always expressed a wish to be alone when you did not receive company perhaps i may have done so said clemence with a smile but let me for once plead my sex's privilege of changing my mind and so even at the risk of astonishing you by my caprice i will own that i should greatly prefer sharing my solitude with you that is if it would be quite agreeable to you oh how very good of you exclaimed m d'harville with much delight thus to anticipate my most ardent desire which i durst not have requested had you not so kindly encouraged me ah oh, my lord your very surprise is a severe reproach to me a reproach oh not for worlds would i have you so understand me but to find you so kindly considerate so attentive to my wishes after my cruel and unjust conduct the other day does i confess both shame and surprise me though the surprise is of the most gratifying and delightful sort come come my lord said madame d'harville with a smile of heavenly sweetness let the past be for ever forgotten between us can you clemence said m d'harville can you bring yourself to forget that i have dared to suspect you that hurried on by a wild insensate jealousy i mediated violence i now shudder to think of still what are even these deep offences to the greater and more irreparable wrong i have done you again i say returned clemence making a violent effort to command herself let us forget the past what do i hear can you or is it possible you will pardon me and forget all the past i will try to do so and i fear not but i shall succeed o oh, clemence can you indeed be so generous but no no i dare not hope it i have long since resigned all expectation that such happiness would ever be mine and now you see how wrong you were in coming to such a conclusion but how comes this blessed change or do i dream speak to me clemence tell me i am not deceiving myself that all is not mere illusion speak say that i must trust my senses indeed you may i mean all i have said and now i look at you i see more kindness in your eye your manner is less cold your voice tremulous 
oh tell me tell me is this indeed true or am i the sport of some illusion nay my lord all is true and safely to be believed i too have need of pardon at your hands and therefore i propose that we mutually exchange forgiveness you clemence you need forgiveness oh for what or wherefore have i not been frequently unkind unrelenting and perhaps even cruel towards you ought i not to have remembered that it required a more than ordinary share of courage to act otherwise than you did a virtue more than human to renounce the hope of exchanging a cheerless solitary life for one of wedded sympathy and happiness alas when we are in grief or suffering it is so natural to trust to the kindness and goodness of others hitherto your fault has been in depending too much on my generosity henceforward it shall be my aim to show you you have not trusted in vain oh go on go on continue still to utter such heavenly words exclaimed m d'harville gazing in almost ecstasy on the countenance of his wife and clasping his hands in fervid supplication let me again hear you pronounce my pardon and it will seem as though a new existence were opening upon me our destinies are inseparably united and death only can dissever us believe me it shall for the future be my study to render life less painful to you than it has been merciful heaven do i hear aright clemence can it be you who have spoken these dear these enchanting words let me conjure you to spare me the pain and humiliation of hearing you express so much astonishment at my speaking as my duty prompts me to do indeed your reluctance to credit my assertions grieves me more than i can describe how cruel a censure does it imply upon my past conduct ah who will pity and soothe you in your severe trials if not i i seem inspired by some holy voice speaking within my breast to reflect upon my past conduct i have deeply meditated on all that has happened as well as on the future my faults rise up in judgment against me but with them come also the whisperings of my awakened feelings teaching me how to repair my past errors your errors my poor injured clemence alas you were not to blame yes i was i ought frankly to have appealed to your honour to release me from the painful necessity of living with you as your wife and that too on the day following our marriage clemence for pity's sake no more otherwise in accepting my position i ought to have elevated it by my entire submission and devotion under the circumstances in which i was placed instead of allowing my coldness and proud reserve to act as a continual reproach i should have directed all my endeavours to console you for so heavy a misfortune and have forgotten everything but the severe affliction under which you laboured by degrees i should have become attached to my work of commiseration and probably the very cares and sacrifices it would have required to fulfil my voluntary duty for which your grateful appreciation would have been a rich reward i might at last but what ails you my lord are you ill surely you are weeping but they are tears of pure delight ah you can scarcely imagine what new emotions are awakened in my heart heed not my tears beloved clemence trust me they flow from an excess of happiness arising from those dear words you just now uttered never did i seem so guilty in my own eyes as i now appear for having selfishly bound you to such a life as mine and never did i find myself more disposed to forget the past 
and to bury all reference to it in oblivion the sight of your gently falling tears even seems to me to open a source of happiness hitherto unknown to me courage courage let us in place of that bright and prosperous life denied us by providence seek our enjoyment in the discharge of the serious duties allotted us let us be mutually indulgent and forbearing towards each other and should our resolution fail let us turn to our child and make her the depositary of all our affections thus shall we secure to ourselves an unfailing store of holy of tranquil joys sure tis some angel speaks cried m d'harville contemplating his wife with impassioned looks oh clemence you little know the pleasure and the pain you cause me the severest reproach you ever addressed me your hardest word or most merited rebuke never touched me as does this angelic devotion this disregard of self this generous sacrifice of personal enjoyment even despite myself i feel hope spring up within me i dare hardly trust myself to believe the blessed future which suggests itself to my imagination ah you may safely and implicitly believe all i say albert i declare to you by all that is sacred and solemn that i have firmly taken the resolution i spoke of and that i will adhere to it in strictest word and deed hereafter i may even be enabled to give you further pledges of my truth pledges exclaimed m d'harville more and more excited by a happiness so wholly unlocked for what need have i of any pledges do not your look your tone the heavenly expression of goodness which animates your countenance the rapturous pulsations of my own heart all convince me of the truth of your words but clemence man you know is a creature not easily satisfied and added the marquis approaching his wife's chair your noble generous conduct inspires me with the boldness the courage to hope to hope yes clemence to venture to hope for that which only yesterday i should have considered even worse than madness to presume to think of for mercy's sake explain yourself said clemence alarmed at the impassioned words and glances of her husband yes cried he seizing her hand yes by dint of tender untiring unwearied love clemence do you understand me i say by dint of love such as mine i venture to hope to obtain a return of my affection i dare to anticipate being loved by you not with a cold lukewarm regard but with a passion ardent as my own for you ah you know not the real nature of such a love as i would inspire you with alas i never even dared to breathe it in your ears so frigid so repulsive were you to me never did you bestow on me a look a word of kindness far less make my heart leap with such joy as thrilled through my breast but now when your words of sweet and gentle tenderness drew happy tears from my eyes and which still ringing in my ears make me almost beside myself with gladness and amid the intoxicating delight which floats through my brain comes the proud consciousness of having earned even so rich a reward by the deep the passionate ardour of my love for you o oh, clemence when will you let me only tell you half i have suffered how i have writhed in despairing anguish at your coldness your disdain how i have watched and sighed in vain for one encouraging glance you will own that for patient devotion to one beloved object i am inferior to none whence arose that melancholy that avoidance of all society our best friends have so fruitlessly sought to rouse me from 
can you not guess the cause ah it originated in desolation of spirit and despair of ever obtaining your love yes dearest clemence to that overwhelming dread was owing the sombre taciturnity the dislike to company the desponding gloom which excited so many different conjectures think too how much my sufferings must have been increased by the fact that she the beloved object of my heart's idolatry was my own legally irrevocably mine dwelling beneath the same roof yet more completely alienated from me than though we dwelt in the opposite parts of the earth but my burning sighs my bitter tears reach not you for i feel almost persuaded they would have moved even you to pity me and now it seems to me that you must have divined my sufferings and have come like an angel of goodness as you are to whisper in my ears bright promises of days of unclouded happiness no longer shall i be doomed to gaze in unavailing yet doting admiration on your graceful beauty no more shall i account myself most blessed yet most accursed in possessing a creature of matchless excellence whose charms of mind and body alas i am forbidden to consider as mine but now the envious barrier which has thus long divided us is about to be withdrawn and the treasure my beating heart tells me is all my own will henceforward be freely indisputably mine will it not dear clemence speak to me and confirm that which the busy throbbings of my joyful heart tell me to hope for and expect as the reward of all i have so long endured as m d'harville uttered these last words he seized the hand of his wife and covered it with passionate kisses while clemence much grieved at the mistake her husband had fallen into could not avoid withdrawing her hand with a mixture of terror and disgust and the expression of her countenance so plainly bespoke her feelings that m d'harville saw at once the fearful error he had committed the blow fell with redoubled force after the tender visions he had so lately conjured up a look of intense agony replaced the bright exultation of his countenance exhibited a little while since when madame d'harville eagerly extending her hand towards him said in an agitated tone albert receive my solemn promise to be unto you as the most tender and affectionate sister but nothing more forgive me i beseech you if inadvertently my words have inspired you with hopes which can never be realized never exclaimed m d'harville fixing on his wife a look of despairing entreaty never answered she the single word with the tone in which it was spoken proved but too well the irrevocable decision clemence had formed brought back by the influence of rodolph to all her nobleness of character madame d'harville had firmly resolved to bestow on her husband every kind and affectionate attention but to love him she felt utterly out of her power and to this immutable resolution she was driven by a power more forcible than either fear contempt or even dislike it was a species of repugnance almost amounting to horror after a painful silence of some duration m d'harville passed his hand across his moist eyelids and said in a voice of bitterness let me entreat your pardon for the unintentional mistake i have made oh refuse not to forgive me for having ventured to believe that happiness could exist for me and again a long pause ensued broken at last by d'harville's vehemently exclaiming what a wretch am i albert said clemence gently for worlds would i not reproach you 
yet is my promise of being unto you the most loving and affectionate of sisters unworthy any estimation you will receive from the tender cares of devoted friendship more solid happiness than love could afford look forward to brighter days hitherto you have found me almost indifferent to your sorrows you shall henceforward find me all zeal and solicitude to alleviate them and eager to share with you every grief or cause of suffering whether of body or of mind at this moment a servant throwing open the folding doors announced his highness the grand duke of gerolstein m d'harville started then by a powerful effort recovering his self-command he advanced to meet his visitor i am singularly fortunate madame said rodolph approaching clemence to find you at home to-night and i am still more delighted with my good fortune since it procures me the pleasure of meeting you also my dear albert continued he turning to the marquis and shaking him cordially by the hand it is indeed some time since i have had the honour of paying my respects to your royal highness if the truth must be spoken my dear albert said the prince smilingly you are somewhat platonic in your friendships and relying on the certain attachment of your friends care very little about either giving or receiving any outward proof of affection by a breach of etiquette which somewhat annoyed madame d'harville a servant here entered the room with a letter for the marquis it was the anonymous epistle of sarah accusing rodolph of being the lover of madame d'harville the marquis out of deference for the prince put away with his hand the small silver salver presented to him by the servant saying in an undertone another time another time my dear albert said rodolph in a voice of the most genuine affection why all this ceremony with me my lord with madame d'harville's permission let me beg of you to read your letter without delay i assure you my lord it is not of the slightest consequence again i say albert read your letter all the same for my being here but my lord indeed nay i ask you to do so or if you will have it i desire you to read it immediately if your highness commands it my duty is obedience said the marquis taking the letter from the salver yes i positively command you to treat me as an old friend ought to treat another then turning towards madame d'harville while the marquis was breaking the seal of the fatal letter the contents of which were of course unknown to rodolph he said smilingly to madame d'harville what a triumph for you madame to bend this untractable spirit and make it bow to your very caprice m d'harville having opened sarah's infamous letter approached the wax lights burning on the mantelpiece the better to read it his features bore no visible mark of agitation as he perused the vile scrawl a slight trembling of the hand alone was visible as after a short hesitation he refolded the paper and placed it in the pocket of his waistcoat at the risk of passing for a perfect goth said he with a smile to rodolph i will ask you to excuse me my lord while i retire to reply to this letter which is more important than it at first appeared shall i not see you again this evening i am fearful i shall not have that honour my lord and i trust your royal highness will condescend to excuse me what is the free person you are cried rodolph gaily will you not madame endeavour to prevent his quitting us nay i dare not attempt that your highness has failed to accomplish but seriously my dear albert endeavour to come back as soon as you have concluded your letter or if that is not possible promise to give me a few minutes in the morning i have a thousand things to say to you 
your highness overwhelms me with kindness answered the marquis as bowing profoundly he withdrew leaving clemence and the prince alone your husband has some heavy care on his mind observed rodolph to the marquise his smile appeared to me a forced one at the moment of your highness's arrival m d'harville was much excited and he has had great difficulty in concealing his agitation from you my visit was probably mal a propos oh no my lord you came just in time to spare me the conclusion of a most painful conversation indeed may i inquire the subject of it i had explained to m d'harville the line of conduct i had determined to pursue towards him for the future assuring him of my future sympathy and affectionate attention to his happiness how happy you must have rendered him by such gratifying words he did indeed at first seem most truly happy and so was i likewise for his tears and his joys caused in me a feeling of delight i never before experienced once i fancied i did but indulge a just revenge each time i addressed to him a reproach or a sarcasm but it was a weak and impotent mode of torture which always recoiled upon myself as my better judgment pointed out the unworthiness of such conduct while just now how great was the difference i had inquired of my husband if he were going out to which he mournfully replied that he had no intention of so doing but should pass the evening alone as he most frequently did ah my lord could you but have seen his surprise when i offered to be his companion and how suddenly did the gloomy expression of his features give place to a bright glow of happiness ah you were quite right there is nothing more really delightful than preparing happy surprises for those around us but how could so much kindness on your part have brought about the painful conversation you were alluding to just now alas my lord said clemence blushing deeply m d'harville not satisfied with the hopes i felt myself justified in holding out allowed himself to form others of a nature too tender to admit of their being realized and in proportion to my consciousness of my utter inability to respond to such sentiments had been my anxiety not to arouse them and greatly as i had felt touched by the warmth of my husband's gratitude for my preferred affection i was even still more terrified and alarmed by the passionate ardour of his manner and expressions and when carried away by the impetuosity of his feelings he pressed his lips upon my hand a cold shudder pervaded my whole frame and i found it impossible to conceal the disgust and alarm i experienced doubtless this manifestation of my invincible repugnance pained him deeply and i much lament having been unable to prevent his perceiving my feelings but now that the blow has fallen it will at least serve to convince m d'harville of the utter impossibility of my ever being more to him than the most tender and devoted friend i pity him most sincerely without being able to blame you in the slightest degree for the part you have acted there are certain feelings which must ever be held sacred but poor albert with his noble generous spirit his frank confiding nature his warm enthusiastic heart if you only knew how long i have been vainly trying to discover the cause of the hidden melancholy which was evidently preying upon his health well we must trust to the soothing effects of time and reason by degrees he will become more sensible of the value of the affection you offer him and he will resign himself as he did before when he had not the consolatory hopes you now present to his view hopes which i solemnly assure you my lord it is my fixed determination to realize in their fullest extent End of chapter six part one read by celine major